0: In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua, but Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live boricua at DiscoverPuertoRico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves boricua. But boricua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system. All without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Uruguay at DiscoverPuertoRico.com. I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. And this week, we're unpacking the Rick Steves Europe Climate Smart Commitment. If you listened to last week's episode, and you don't need to have listened to last week's episode to follow this one, but if you did, you may be familiar with this program. It's essentially a self-imposed carbon tax. See, for every traveler who joins a Rick Steves European tour, the company donates $30 to a carefully selected group of nonprofits. And in this episode, we're gonna be hearing from Craig Davidson. He's the CEO of Rick Steves Europe about these nonprofits how the company selected them and the really incredible things they've seen come from this program. It's very impressive. Like I said, you don't need to have listened to last week's episode to follow this one, but it is a helpful primer to kind of understand Rick Steves, his values and how they've evolved over the years and how he and his company view the world. I have found them to be an impressively ethical and sustainable organization, one that I really hope inspires other companies to follow suit. Alright, but that's enough fangirling. Let's get on to the show. Hi, Craig. Welcome to Unpacked. Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Well, great. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. Yeah, I just had a wonderful chat with Rick about his ethics and what led to the creation of the Climate Smart commitment. And so I am just hoping with you to get into the nuts and bolts of that. And I know that you spent a lot of time on this creating it. And so I would love to start off by just having you explain to our listeners what exactly this commitment is.
1: Well, the Climate Smart commitment is really, I like to say, it's just the embodiment of our values. Rick Steves, Europe, we're teachers first. We like to teach good and thoughtful travel. We're role models personally and professionally. And then we advocate for humanness in a world that's becoming increasingly materialistic or isolated. So we always try to put humans at the center of everything we do when we travel or our programs. And so this this is the culmination to me of all of those values. And the Climate Smart commitment is just, I look at it, it's the big number of what we do, but it also ties into all our philanthropic work. So I come from a world, from economic school and everything else that you come through of, you know, your job as a manager is to maximize shareholder value. And back in school, I used to think that doesn't make any sense. If maximizing shareholder value is short-term gain, gain, maximize the dividend, and I make you a millionaire, but you can't drink the water or breathe the air, I've kind (laughs) of not done my job in maximizing your value. And so I've always felt there's got to be some Mm -hmm. sort of ethical, social issue inside of management. And then when I met Rick and joined his company, like Rick is very much interested in social justice issues and has given money for years to support causes that he believes in. So we formalized all of that from an organizational perspective and created the shareholder, but really stakeholder model where we said the earth and the community are shareholders of ours. And so the community receives a dividend and we partner with local organizations here to give back to the community, to make our community stronger. And then the Climate Smart commitment is the dividend we're giving back to the earth, really to pay it back for the resources that we use in order to earn a profit. Like I can look at it no different than any other investor. And we know that when you travel, especially plane flights can emit carbon and that causes climate change so we'd structured this program to pay back that dividend to the earth by attempting to help creatively mitigate the carbon created while traveling while putting humans at the center of the program
0: yeah i love that and there are of course carbon offset programs and i know that you looked into that and so why did you decide to not go in that direction and instead form this
1: we did look into them i just don't think they they don't meet who we are as an organization. We like to be really involved and be in partnership with the organizations that we're involved with. We want to understand the stories and have a relationship and know exactly where our money is going. And we we like entrepreneurial empowering systemic change kind of projects that that stabilize people's lives and then give them the opportunity to grow and be entrepreneurs and and really change the system that is put them in the situation that they're in. And so when you talk about carbon offsets, just the the simple answer for us is we know there's a lot of administration costs. There's a lot of overhead costs and things that are inside of this mechanism to buy an offset. So we thought we could get more bang for our buck, you know, by donating directly to an organization and understanding the projects they're working on.
0: Oh, that's great. I love that. And so as I understand it, for every tour member, you take $30 and invest it in one of this handful of organizations. How many organizations are within this portfolio, as you refer to it?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's a portfolio. I'd like to refer to it as my mutual fund of organizations <laughs> yeah. where the primary investment is in people. So based on the number of travelers who went with us in 2022 that million dollars has gone to 13. Generally, the portfolio will float between 10 to 13. $100,000 each tends to be the big
0: number. Okay. And how did you go about selecting and vetting these organizations? It sounds like you've done a lot of homework.
1: I mean, the initial go-round, I mean, that's where a lot of, you'd say there's a lot of vetting went on with that. I think our program has migrated over the years. I think it's become cooler in a way. I I think of what we've learned and what I've learned in this about global systemic injustice and all sorts of stuff. It's migrated over time. We love the idea. There's a book called Drawdown that we had read really when we were formulating this. And it's all about what carbon or climate environmental projects you could invest in and which ones had the biggest impact on climate change. And when you get to number six, when you read the list, it's about the education of women and girls in the developing world. And the impact of that is basically immeasurable. So it was this idea of saying, I really love the idea of education. That's who we are as teachers first. And so if we can make communities stronger and educate women and girls, that ensures the lasting impact of any of the programs that we're doing. It ties exactly into what we want to do as an organization. And so there, everything had to have an element of that. And then, of course, we were looking at the social injustice, really, of the global capital market system. And we're capitalists. We like making a profit. But the problem with maximizing shareholder value or all of those issues is that the capital system doesn't really care about the inputs; it cares about the value of the output because it wants to make money on it, but the people or whoever who are producing the product are often left behind. So we wanted to look at something that way to say, how can we really impact the lives of, it ended up being farmers in the developing world to help farmers farm in a way that had less of an impact on climate change but also helped them mitigate the impacts of climate change because for farmers you know they're caught in the middle they make less and less money every year because commodity prices drop we don't want to pay more money at the grocery store for food so they're the ones who make less and less money it happens in the u.s too to u.s farmers but but the poorest people in the poorest countries are being hit the hardest by climate change they don't have the resources To really fight back against it. And what they do to just make enough money to survive or just to live could be deforestation. It's trying to use more chemicals. It's just trying to get more out of the land that they have. And by doing that, it's causing climate change. It's deforesting, chemical production emits carbon into the atmosphere, and all of that slew of things. So that's why we centered on those two ideas. And then it was really just, organizations can apply to us for grants. And we look at those grants under those criteria.
0: Interesting. And what specifically in your work with organizations that work with farmers, what do they do? Like how is the money used?
1: There's two pieces to it. It's helping farmers farm in a way that that mitigates their impact on the climate, but helps them adapt to the climate change. I so see. there's that section of it. But then the, there has to be an ongoing education component. So our partners tend to partner with local organizations. So this isn't about us showing up and dumping a bunch of money or telling people what to do and keeping ourselves in a project forever. Mm-hmm. This is about organizations partnering with local organizations and local people to bring in the technology and bring in The tools for farmers to farm more efficiently. So it's it's teaching things like organic farming. So that if they can make compost, it's as simple as that. If they can make compost, that's now free. They don't have to spend money on chemicals. That increases their income because now they don't spend money on something. It's an investment in hydroponics. And we like to talk about it. It's an investment because many of our farmers opt into these programs. Many still say, no, the old traditional way of fertilizer and the way I farm is the way I know. Farmers <laughs> elect into these programs to become entrepreneurs. We provide that investment. And with hydroponics and water uh, saving techniques now allows farmers to get through the dry seasons and the droughts and all of you know the crazy weather we see here even in the United States, but now they have more than one harvest. So now that increases the yield on their land. There's no need for them to deforest to try to get more land, to plant more crops, to make up the income that they're losing through the commodity price. If they don't deforest, of course, that helps climate change so they they can make more on the plot of land they have. But then the next step of it is bringing in technology to help them. A lot of these farmers, because they're stuck in extreme poverty, they live in constant uh, search of firewood, an open pit fire generally in the center of their house burns constantly because they have to boil water. That means the kids and women are generally always either going to try to find water or go find firewood. The firewood, of course, is deforestation. You can argue the smoke from the fire is climate change causing carbon emissions. But it's keeping kids from school. So we can bring in climate-smart cook stoves. And one of our partners has said one cook stove can save the equivalent of uh, 30 trips to Europe worth of carbon. So if you bring in a climate smart cook stove, they might never you know, have to cut down trees again. But we can teach restorative uh, farming so that they constantly replenish their fuel supply, but they use less. If we can bring in chemical water filters, now they don't need to boil water all the time. They have clean water. Kids can now go to school and it creates a whole different community aspect. At the same time, with the increased farming and the increased yields, if it's organic food, they can make more money at market. Farmers can start to make enough income that stops this ongoing need for deforestation. We reforest a lot of nurseries, a lot of replanting, so we can restore the biosphere or the biodiversity of the area to really bring the planet back to where it was. And that way, these farmers can live and thrive in this global market. With a reduced footprint, and really we stabilize, I argue we stabilize the food supply.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, because once farmers lose hope, and if they can't farm, they migrate. And that's that's a whole other issue. So we're trying from a systemic point of view, we're trying to say if we tackle this this way, we can help the climate, but we can also solve all of these other side issues that are stemming from just climate change and the impact on farmers.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge. And especially, you know, in terms of like global food supply and food security, right? So uh, something that we've struggled with at AFAR and kind of balancing this out, I'm just curious to know your take on this, is going back to the idea of mitigation. So, okay, the carbon that we emit by, say, flying to Europe or wherever we're flying to is immediate, but these programs can take a longer period of time. So how do you view that?
1: I think we, we wrestle with it too. You know, it is very hard. There's an, um, the immediacy of offsetting, if you use that term, but we don't like to use the term, but it's like that flight. We, we just, we look at it, you know, I guess in a, in just a different sort of way. I, I mean, I'm sure that's what you guys wrestle with as well. It's, it's like, we don't want to get hung up necessarily on the intricacies of that immediacy and. We want to be accountable for what we're doing and we want to take action. So, we want to take action now while we try to figure out the rest of these issues because we learn more every day. And our program, like I said, is slowly migrating as we learn more to attack more of these issues.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, we don't have the answer either. I think what we've settled on is, you know, encouraging people to offset in whatever way. And I love the program you guys have developed and also at simultaneously encouraging people to be more thoughtful because we do think that it's important to travel and to kind of, you know, be a citizen of the world and that you learn so much and that there's value in that. But To, you know, maybe do fewer short flights or if you can take an alternative form of transportation and then looking at airlines that are really doing interesting things in terms of sustainable aviation fuel and carbon capture and things like that. So I feel like it's like a mix. We've landed on a hybrid. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'll say I think that's that's right. And from our travel concepts. You know, we've always been very much of when you travel to Europe, stay in a hotel, stay in a place longer than one day. So on our tours, we don't have as much housekeeping as we used to have, but just from the way we travel, we've always promoted public transportation. It's it's about getting to a place and living like a local, staying in local hotels which have a smaller footprint, staying in local or eating at local establishments so that your money stays in that community and then really impacts the community that you're in. So we're actually fortunate in that way that we're uh, we've always tried to be. And if you're in Europe, a lot of times you'll take trains between cities if that's the way we're moving. So we're lucky that our style of travel has always had a low footprint.
0: Yeah. Getting there.
1: (laughs) Getting there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, I was curious to know what, because now any traveler can contribute to the Climate Smart commitment, right? Like, it's not just you You do it still for your tour members, but I, as a traveler, if I wanted to offset my next trip to, say, France, I could donate. Do you have a recommendation that you would give to travelers in terms of how to do that?
1: You know, we come back to a lot of what I like to talk about. I think mean, you've just said it, too. It's It's about accountability. If you're a citizen of the world, you understand that your actions have repercussions. So if, if people take personal responsibility and understand the issues and understand what they can do, then we like to say just be accountable for that. And if you like a project like biofuel or something, contribute to that. If you feel like that's the, the answer, our program matches the values of our organization. So if you... Like our program, yes, you can donate to us. You can go to our website. It's ricksteves.com. And at the bottom, there's a link to Climate Smart, and your money will be added to our self-imposed carbon tax and then Mm -hmm. allocated out to the organizations who apply to grants that make it through the grant process. You can also go to, if you get to our website and read our portfolio, there's always a link for people to donate directly to those organizations if someone likes that organization more than another one. And right now, taking action, to me, is the most important thing any of us can do.
0: If you're looking for a taste of something new, then I am excited to tell you about Foods That Matter, a new podcast that takes foodies to different corners of the world, unlocking the secrets of the globe's most extraordinary cuisines. Join host and food archaeologist John Robert Sutton, also known as the Indiana Jones of food, on a culinary thrill across the world, where you'll gain deep insights into food culture, a better understanding of food origins, and learn how to discover these culinary treasures all on your own. Follow Foods That Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. you launched this program in 2019. What have you seen change or grow since then?
1: In terms of our projects and the project success, I think, you know, we've brought three villages out of extreme poverty. So that's pretty exciting. We've seen impacts. We've actually had one of our partners, it's the same partner, (laughs) but that partner say to us, when we started this and we gave them the idea of climate-smart farming techniques and this is what we wanted to invest in, they didn't think it was going to work. They were traditional agronomists. This is about, you know, chemicals and all of how this was going to work. But they, they started to do it. And in the three years, what we've done has become the now foundation for all their future work in the developing world. So that to me is exciting. We've gone from this idea of, will it work? And let's try it out to, wow, this really does work. And the results are so amazing. Let's continue on that's changed my knowledge of the the way the world works and the capital market systems and food productions and how governments of countries are trying to do the right thing but maybe aren't and they harm their citizens so like now we're trying to help tribes who have been kicked off their land because they've created a national forest well these these tribes can no longer sustainable farm or sustainable hunt or do a subsistence hunt really or subsistence farm anymore because it's protected land. So we're helping those groups buy back what was their traditional land from the government so that they can manage it in a better way and still live in it and be part of that, part of that ecosphere. It's that and, and really understanding how organizations You know, turn a blind eye to illegal deforestation of rainforests and how, you know, I can deforest a rainforest, produce a product that a brand buys and the brand sells it. But there's no repercussions because the organization that deforests, they do it. Their government doesn't care. We displace a whole bunch of people that used to live on the land. Mm -hmm. Nobody seems to care. The brand buys the product and makes a profit. And the government earns the tax off the sale. So there's like a reward for doing it as opposed to a penalty. And the other side of it is there's this huge humanitarian issue being created by the displacement of people that would be on the land. Farmers are being displaced. You can see a lot of news stories. We're losing the wild for food production or urban areas. which accelerating climate change, which makes the food supply even more unstable and which creates a bigger uh, humanitarian crisis. So it's like, it's all interconnected. It's not just climate change. And it's, it's hard to explain in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, well, it seems very concrete. Like you can sure go down, (laughs) dig into the weeds, but it seems pretty, pretty easy on the surface level to kind of grasp and understand. I was wondering, I had read that you were setting up some kind of training center for farming. Is that right?
1: That's right. That's the same group that brought the three villages out of extreme poverty. Now the next step is to build a training center. All of our organizations really have some element of training where farmers come and learn. A lot of it's basic literacy training. It's understanding just basic accounting so that they can become entrepreneurs and know profit and loss off a farm, that kind of idea. But in this project specifically, we're going to build a training center where farmers now, instead of building a village from scratch and doing it, We're going to bring farmers in from other villages to this training center where they can live. They'll be given a plot of land where they can learn all these new techniques. Mm. And that way, if that plot of land works and is productive, they can earn the income off the plot of land. And we will compensate them for leaving their village to come and giving up their farm, really, because they have to give that up to come learn the new techniques. But it's the idea of bringing people in to learn and then letting them go back to where they were and adapt the new techniques because we can reach more people that way instead of doing it village by village we can teach a lot of farmers and then we empower those farmers to go teach those people in those villages and that's what a lot of our organizations do too that's the education of women and girls women and girls are learning how to maintain all these programs they're learning how to you know train the trainer idea they are the trainers, and it's keeping young people in the villages and giving them careers so that they stay in the villages, the community stays stronger, it stops migration, but it also ensures continuity of the food production.
0: Absolutely. And where is the training facility located?
1: This one is in Nicaragua.
0: Nicaragua. And most of the farmers will also be from Nicaragua for now? That's right. Okay, got it. Is there anything else that you think is important for listeners to know about this or the company's take on climate change?
1: I would just say the world is an interesting place at the moment. We run the gamut from people who believe in what we're doing and believe in our point of view and support us. And we get, you've been taken in by the hoax and there's no such thing as climate change and everywhere in between. So from my perspective, I like to look at it this way. We've developed a program that's based on our values. We believe climate change is real we don't believe there's a debate and by the way even if there is a debate at some point in time i will not be here anymore and if i'm if i meet my maker or whatever you want to say that is and there's judgment day i want to be able to say i thought there was a problem and i did what i thought was right and if you say well you got fooled okay but at least i did what i thought was right and i improved the lives of hopefully thousands of people in the world while we did it. And at the core of yes. who we are at Rick Steves Europe, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create those human connections and make the world a better place through travel. You know, the same as as your company is, and it's becoming a global citizen and understanding issues and really just trying to make the world a better place, and that's what we're doing. And that's what I would say to everybody, just be accountable for what you do, act ethically, and take action in whichever way you think you should, because that's how we're going to make the world better.
0: Here, here, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, we're very much values aligned in that way. Thank you so much for your time and for being here today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me.
0: All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more about the Climate Smart Commitment or donate to any of the nonprofits you heard about in this episode, visit ricksteves.com, which we'll link to in our show notes. Next week, we're going to be talking to a Delta flight attendant about flying with kids and all the joys and challenges that that can bring and how to do it without losing your mind. It's a great episode. Definitely tune in for that. And also, just a reminder that we'll be releasing Season 4 of Travel Tales by Afar on Thursday, October 5th, so make sure you subscribe now if you haven't already. See you next week! Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Email us at unpacked This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galteland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it.